Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If so, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you. Aww. Along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use! Exclamation point. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours, too. Uh, so do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 150 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Wow, 150 episodes. <laughs> I was told my voice was annoying by a random YouTube commenter earlier today, so my feelings are hurt, and I'm trying to not sound as annoying. And you do that by doing your uh, David Miscavige impression. <laughs> no, that this is not my David Miscavige imp impression. <laughs> I'm too broken well, down to even bust out David Miscavige right now. Uh, now, uh, I'm here with Mike, and uh, he is the executive producer of the show. He's the he's the guy behind the scenes. He handles the lighting. Uh, he's <laughs> he, he's the best boy electric or best boy grip. Uh, I always thought that was the funniest term in, in movie credit terminology, best boy. Like, mm -hmm. it just sounds so funny to me. He's the best boy. <laughs> who i think is just a best boy just helps whoever yeah you know whatever it's it's basically another way to say bus boy but like, <laughs> it's a nicer way it's a nicer way how you doing mike how's life treating you since uh last time i talked to you uh, i'm doing pretty good i've had a lot of days off this week um uh, because a lot of hours at work have been given to uh replenishment associates um and uh, for the most part, things have been going well at work, other than a creepy phone call I got a couple days ago. But yeah, <laughs> it was near the end of my shift. I, you know, this person was just lucky that I was there to be able to answer that that phone. Otherwise, they would have had somebody else answer it, and I wouldn't have been there. So it just wouldn't have been really awkward, but even more awkward. Um. So. Because I, I was on the floor for most of that, that shift, and I only was on uh, register for like the last 15 minutes of my shift. So, um, whoever you are, creepy uh, caller, you got lucky. Anyway, um, this guy called me, and he starts off saying, you know, can I speak to Mike? And I'm like, are you sure, you know, you want to speak to Mike, or, you know, or do you want to speak to, like, Matt, my manager? Because people sometimes get names mixed up. And he's like, no, I want to speak to Mike. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and it's like, what? how can I help you? You know, and he's, he's talking about how, well, you know, do you have any model airplanes? And I'm like, yeah, yes, we do. Um, well, I'm trying to start a YouTube channel and I'm just, you know, wondering what kind of model airplanes you have. And I was like, okay, um, hold on one second. I'm going to put you on hold, and I'm going to go check and see which ones we have in stock. So I couldn't, I didn't, I was not able to spend a whole lot of time off the register because I was the only person on there. So I had to like really quick go to the aisle and check. 
Then I come back, and there's nobody in line. And so I come back, get back on the, on the line with this, this caller. And at this point, it's just like kind of just weird. It's like, oh, they asked him for me. Why? I don't know. Um, and then just talking about, okay, what kind of model airplanes do you have? And I'm like, we have like, uh, you know, some older type of models. So we have like the P2 and we have a few other, uh, older uh, planes and stuff like that. I would suggest, uh, going to a model store though, a hobby shop because they, had, they would have a lot more selection. And then he's like, okay, all right. Da, 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 da. Uh, when are you going to get your Robocop 2 posters in stock? You know, and I'm like, we don't have any Robocop 2 posters. <laughs> and I don't I don't think we're ever going to have those in stock. And then he's like, okay, all right, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then he's like, I'll, I'll come by, you know, sometime, you know, and I'm like, uh, and see. And then I'm like, okay, all right, and then bye. It was just an extremely awkward phone call. But it was kind of creepy to me because of the fact that he mentioned YouTube, he mentioned Robocop 2 posters, which I had one on my wall in uh, uh, some of my older videos, and I don't remember talking to a guest at work and, you know, talking about stuff like that. So, this was definitely a little bit uh, out there, so I'm like, is this, is it, the only place I remember sharing where I work and, and serve where's sort of like a kind of an in joke that we have going on is with, you know, our group and, you know, with listeners of the podcast. So it's kind of funny. Like I have my own sort of mysterious, uh, caller mystery going on here, you know, <laughs> was it, it was, a, a it was a dude. Yeah, it was a dude. Oh, okay. It was an, it was an older guy. Uh, it clearly wasn't someone who was like super young or anything. Um, I think they needed some work on their social skills, <laughs> but you know, a lot of people could use work on that. That doesn't mean anything. It just, it just meant like the conversation was pretty awkward. Um, didn't seem very natural. If it was a troll call, it's the lamest attempt at, at a prank or trolling ever because there was nothing vindictive or, uh, mean about it. So, it, and I haven't gotten a call since, so thankfully, because I was, I was kind of worried about that. Like, if they keep calling, you know, like, I really don't, please, I don't need that. Well, guys, if you're, you're if you're listening to the podcast uh, and you gave Mike a call, I mean, he's being very shy about, but clearly he did enjoy it and go pay him a visit. <laughs> he would really like the visit and he'd love the company. So no, I wouldn't. Shut up. <laughs> uh, bring him candy, sandwiches, RoboCop Two Just posters. Stop, stop giving, stop giving off conflicted vibes, man. <laughs> no, but seriously, you sound like such uh, a hippie. Just then, stop giving <laughs> off conflicted vibes, man. Stop it, man. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that. That's the RoboCop Two thing was uh, definitely like the the clincher as far mm -hmm. as like someone who. Probably definitely knew of you or whatever, you know, because that's that's yeah. too specific. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be like someone calling me at my job and being like, yeah, so when are you guys going to get some like Genesis albums in, you know, like. It'd be like, oh, wow, that's incredibly specific. Um, 
What you know? I, I see you're a fan of on the Unsolved Mysteries soundtrack. You know, do you have any more of those posters? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Mike. As we climb the totem pole of fame, you know, we're going to get more of this. You know, I mean, we have people from Sweden sending us treats at this yeah. point. I mean, we've arrived. Yeah, we we've arrived. I've uh-huh. I, I've I've had to use my celebrity to. Uh, get uh and by the way once again uh definitely got to say thanks to jade thank you jade for sending that package i'm going to try to get to the a taste test video as soon as i can i think some of the stuff might have kind of melted in 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 the mailbox but i'll make the best of it well like i was saying before you interrupted me out of nowhere um i've had to use my celebrity <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I've had to throw my weight around here in Jacksonville. Like, uh, I went to McDonald's the other day and I got a double cheeseburger and it had clearly been sitting under the, the heat lamp for a long time and it was not fresh. So I went up to the counter and I said, Hey, uh, can I get a new one? This looks like it's like been sitting around for hours and they didn't say, uh, they didn't say anything, but I knew the only reason that I got a new cheeseburger was because I'm Josh Cannon from the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast. <laughs> You know, they they didn't say it, but I knew that yeah. that I had that I had that kind of clout to throw around. So, you know, that's People just say fame can make you delusional. Well, you this know, is one of those. Thankfully, instances. I'm not. Uh, thankfully, I'm not that uh, to that point yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we are celebrities, you know, and, and that's just <laughs> all there is to it. And um, and I knew I was always going to be a celebrity. That's why I started my alcohol problem way before I ever got famous, because <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I had an addiction because you're not everyone knows yeah. you're not a true celebrity yeah. unless you have some kind of a drug addiction. Mike's drug addiction is um, he hasn't actually told me, but to look at him, I would say uh, crystal meth. Definitely. Crystal yeah, meth. Definitely. Mike not. is a meth <laughs> methed out kind of guy. <laughs> He's no meth, methed up, as Muhammad I, I, Ali I, I, might say. I would say my addiction, my addiction is is buying movies. That's what my addiction is. <laughs> well, that is, that, that is not a very cool addiction. No one is going to find you slumped over next to a public toilet with some DVDs in your hands. No, but that that's it's 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 still an addiction because it's you know a lot of the same sort of uh, hallmarks you know, of uh, just buying, you know, spending all this money and all that sort of stuff. So true. I'm working on uh, curbing my spending, but um, there's so many good deals. I mean, you know, <laughs> when when you have all this money coming in from Himalaya, what else are you supposed to do? You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, so speaking of substance abuse and uh, alcohol, uh, that actually ties into uh, the individual who is the focus of the first case that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, Doris Bither, she had a uh, history of substance abuse and was an alcoholic, which also brings into question, the, uh, for some, the validity of, of this particular case. And that case is the Entity. Now, this is not has nothing to do with the Ultimate Collection box set case of Unsolved Mysteries that is also called The Entity. Uh, clearly, they called it that because they knew something about this case or, you know, the film that is based on the book that is 
somewhat based on the case, but is taking, you know, a fictionalized account of it by Frank D. Folletta, which is also called The Entity. Yes. This, this is not the case of the three Texas gentlemen who stayed in the loud house no. that made the loud noises. Nope. So, uh, I'm going to go off of two different sources. Uh, this first source is a shorter, sort of more condensed version. The other one has a little more details. Um, we watched a uh, short segment from Sightings, uh, which had an interview with Dr. Carrie Gaynor, who was uh, involved with the investigation of this particular case. Uh, he provided some photographs, uh, as well as one that I feel is one of the more uh, compelling examples of uh, paranormal phenomena that has been caught on film. Uh, it's it's a, a photograph that shows a arc of light uh, that is uh, around the afflicted individual, which is Doris uh, Bither. Um, it it cannot it, it it can absolutely not be created by a flashlight. This is also at the same. T this is around the time uh, in the seventies when we did. There's no such thing as Photoshop, so you can't really you know make edits like that either. So I'm going off of the Singular Fortunes uh, Society uh, website for this little uh, refresher course, and then I'm going to go to uh, Ghost Theory, which has a little bit more inf information. Uh, there's also another documentary uh, about the case that I do recommend. It's I it was actually featured as a special feature on the DVD for the film The Entity, starring Barbara Hershey, which I highly recommend checking out sometime if you find this case interesting. Um, and it ha and the documentary as well because it's a short little documentary that has some pretty hilarious reenactments. To be honest, they had a low budget to work with to show these ghostly effects. Of like lights flying around and an apparition, a torso appearing, and apparently it was lime green, according to the people who saw it, including the doctors and the scientists who were involved with this investigation. But uh, it makes for a pretty hilarious reenactment because it looks like you know laser tag <laughs> in like the nineties. <laughs> so the green fucking lights everywhere, and 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 when the torso appears, I'm like, what is this swamp thing? This is like all bright lime green. So anyway, uh, that one has an interview with uh, Doctor Barry Taff, and has a lot more information about this case that is actually really intriguing. So on August twenty second of nineteen seventy four, Doctor Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor began their investigation into the haunting of Doris Byther in Culver City, California. Doris was a single mother who claimed that the home she shared with her daughter and three sons was haunted and that she had been victimized by the spirits within therein. Two of the ghosts had held her down while the third one raped her. Yes, we got ghost rape. Ghost rape, Oops. guys. Ghost rape. The Byther family life was a tumultuous one, and Doris had been in several abusive relationships along with having a history of substance abuse. The Byther home was said to have been in shambles, with dirty dishes piled in the sink and squalid living conditions, the house was twice condemned by the city, according to Dr. Taff. In addition to the claims of assault by Doris, all four children claimed to have seen apparitions, the most prominent of which they nicknamed Mr. Who's It. Sounds like a very like whimsical nickname for a, a 
you know, a raping ghost. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it sounds like when you don't know the name of something, you're like, it's a who's a what's it? You're like, you know. Yeah. Like, sounds like Dr. Seuss character. Yeah, it's a, yeah it, it is a little too whimsical for a rapey ghost. I will say that. Yeah. You don't get fun names when you do shit like that, even if you're a ghost. <laughs> Investigators reported feeling a strange pressure in their ears while in the house. The most disturbing aspect of the case was, of course, the reported spectral rape, of which Dr. Taff and Gaynor were initially skeptical. Of course. You would be. Like, ghost rape? Give me a fucking yeah, break. Come insane. on. That's insane. However, bruises on Doris's inner thighs and other conspicuous wounds would quickly convince them of the seriousness of the phenomena. Although high-speed cameras were brought in to capture the phenomena, very little of substance wound up on film. In one instance, Doris was said to have provoked the beings into a visible manifestation. Investigators present, present reported lights appearing around the room, a green mist billowing from one corner, and the form of a man's upper torso becoming visible within the unnatural fog. And that happened because, uh, I believe Doris was frustrated with the ghost and was just like, show yourself. Like, I want to, you know, stop with these games. Show, show me. And the ghost was happy to oblige. There was uh, 20 to 25 witnesses who saw all these things, too, folks. Um, I know there's such a thing as mass hallucinations, but I don't know. I think it, I think it's kind of uh, a stretch to assume that 20, 25 people would mass hallucinate the exact same thing. Um, so there were no fa facial details to the torso, but it did reportedly show musculature, leading them to believe it was male. These, these events proved impossible to record on film, and pictures taken only show a free-floating arc of light over Doris, as pictured in uh, this article, the one that I was talking about with the arc lights, the arcs of light. Although uh, the origin of the haunting is controversial, with skeptics musing that Doris Bither's history, uh, Bither's history of addiction, abuse, and difficult relationships she had with her sons led to sort of a mental break, uh, okay, but explain the the fact that other people are seeing these things. A photographer who was brought in saw these things. Uh, two different investigators saw these things. They have written testimonies of like 20 people who saw these things. If it's just her, you know, making shit up and, uh, you know, she's crazy, why did everyone else see that? Still, others believe that the case points towards a ghostly or even demonic influence, although Dr. Taft doesn't agree with that assessment. Contrary to what many people believe, the case of Doris Bither was not, in my professional opinion, the result of spectral rape, aka spectrophilia, but rather a rather disturbingly real poltergeist outbreak. Unfortunately, the amassed data in the case does not in any way support ghostly sex, but back in the mid-1970s and my mid-20s, such a notion was intriguing to say the least. It should be noted that Doris's middle son, Brian, maintains that a spectral rape occurred, having himself witnessed it. So, now we have some more uh, detail on the case from uh, the uh, Ghost Theory site. So, Dr. Barry Taff and Gary Kerry Gaynor arrived at the 1-1... Okay, so this is, this is why they got involved in the investigation. Uh, Dr. Barry Taff and his associate Carrie Gaynor were overheard talking about the paranormal by a woman in a local bookstore. The woman approached the two men and told them that her house was haunted. She gave Carrie Gaynor some details of the haunting, in which Gaynor told her that he would discuss this with his associate. 
Dr. Barry Taff and Carrie Gaynor arrived at the 11547 Braddock Drive Culver City home in Colorado on August 22, 1974. Doris Byther, a petite woman in her 30s, greeted them. Doris lived in a small home with her six-year-old daughter and three sons. Her daughter was six years old, and her boys were 10, 13, and 16. The house at the time was in shambles. Squalid living conditions and a tumultuous relationship between the mother and the male children is what the investigative team observed upon the first visit. The investigators reported feeling a, a, over pre, a feeling of pressure in their ears while being inside the home. According to Taft, the house was twice, was twice condemned by the city. From what is known, Doris Byther suffered abuse from her parents, as well as several abusive relationships with men. There were, was obvious tension between the three young boys and the mother. The psychodynamics of the home were extremely negative. It seems that the boys, especially the eldest, would harbor some dark and resentful, resentful feelings towards their mother. The unconscious mind that is troubled by a physical or verbally abusive environment and negative upbringing is a lightning rod to paranormal activities, either attracting poltergeist activity or psychosomatically creating it. I, I, I tend to actually believe there is some credence to that, that to that thought that some of these more intense paranormal or poltergeist activities are tied to intense negative emotions. Yeah, that always seems to be a theme, you know, with all these ghost stories is there's always some kind of uh, negative energy left behind, you know, whether it's the Civil War ghosts or, you know, ghosts or like, you know, the Lizzie Borden house or what have you. Mm -hmm. So Doris Byther claimed that the spirits would physically attack her. The reports range from Doris walking around her home and bumping into the ghosts to actual spectral rape. Of course, Taff and Gator were skeptical of all of this. Ghost apparitions are a hard thing to prove and collect evidence for, from a scientific perspective. Ghostly rape is even harder to believe. It was not until they saw the bruises on her inner thighs and all over all of her body, as well as people outside the family corroborating by testifying, that they also seen apparitions that both investigators started to take heed as to what Doris was saying. Doris claimed the ghosts were of Asian men. The children also saw these beings. The visions were so frequent that they, the children dubbed one of the more prominent ghosts as Mr. Who's It. A claim of rape by these beings is one of the most interesting aspects of the case. Doris Byther reported that two of the beings are the smallest ones and they would hold her down while the biggest or tallest one of them would rape her. Doris's eldest son would admit to seeing her mother being tossed, his mother being tossed around the room. In one instance, he tried to intervene and was thrown across the room by the unseen force. To both investigators, this must have been the most bizarre claim to date. How can you prove spectral rape or even claim it? It would seem that a person would have to be insane to even admit this. The team decided to set up shop and brought in high-speed cameras and photographers, as well as other investigators to help capture something on tape. In a famous report, all investigators and equipment, as well as Doris, were in a small bedroom. Cramped and anxious to see any paranormal activities, they decided to have Doris conjure up the beings while ha by having her call them. Speaking of conjuring, this isn't mentioned in a lot of these uh, uh, accounts. Wasn't mentioned in the sighting segment. And uh, I definitely want to mention it here. Doris had a hobby of messing around with occult things. So she had a hobby of, you know, playing around with the Ouija board and stuff like that. So there's a potential that there's there's a possibility that she might have opened this doorway or whatever or, you know, opened uh, things up for these events to occur to her because of her 
hobby with uh, playing around with the paranormal, for instance. There was a movie, uh, I feel like it was on Lifetime or something back in the day, and it scared the shit out of me. Um, and it was about this 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 uh, teenager who got demon-possessed, and I believe it was based on a true story, but you know, you know. Yeah. Whether you believe in Was it an older movie? Uh I don't know what the I mean, I was a kid, so it was probably 90s, but like he played with him and his aunt played with a Ouija board. The kid, yeah. the kid whose name I believe was Lewis or something, he became demon possessed and it was like such a scary depiction of demon possession for me to witness as a child, like it literally made me afraid that I was going to be demon possessed. And um, the aunt like died of cancer or some shit, and hmm. and then of course you have the case of the like. I doubt that was a lifetime movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that doesn't I don't sound know, man. like Life- a lifetime. Lifetime movies are pretty brutal sometimes. Yeah, but demon possession. Yeah, it might not have been lifetime. I don't know what. Maybe an NBC made for TV movie. I don't know. But um, and and then you have the Lake Wales haunting where with the uh, Alan Man and his sixteen year old wife, yeah. where they. Uh, you know, they played with a Ouija board and, mm-hmm. you know, as a result of that, it, well, I think they were already being haunted and whenever they played with the Ouija board, that's when they learned the ghost name. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, it, you know, the lesson I'm learning is don't mess with Ouija boards. Oh, well, that's, that's <laughs> been the thing. I mean, especially me growing up in church, you know, that, that was like the whole thing back then was Ouija boards are evil as fuck and to stay away from them. It's crazy that Parker Brothers, you know, I know, some a Parker, you know, fucking Parker Brothers. I know, I know. It's I remember seeing advertisements family for Ouija. Company. I saw advertisements for Ouija boards as a kid on TV, and it was like kids, and there was like candles lit in the background, and they're like, they're like, you're doing that. No, I'm not. I swear. No, you're moving it. No, I'm not moving it. And and like that was like the commercial or whatever, uh-huh. and it was like they were like advertising that shit back then. Like it was crazy. Um, I bet I bet a bunch of Christian groups like got all up in arms about it, so that's why they stopped. But like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to this day, even though I don't really believe in that shit, like, I- I'm still not gonna fuck with a Ouija board. You know, I'm just not. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm I've got some leftover childhood things going on that I'm still oh, yeah. that I have phobias of still. You well, know? well, I mean, it's understandable. Like if there is a chance that there is some, you know, demonic activity or or you know, this other side, I don't want to inadvertently open up that shit, you know, that door. And who knows what'll come out cuz it's not necessarily going to be all positive, you know, and nice spirits, you know. Right. So, and I think that's Part of what occurred with Doris, because these these uh, activities continued for years, even after she moved out of this house. Maybe, so, maybe the Tallman bed, what the, the Tallman bunk bed was made up from a bunch of ground up Ouija boards. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, <clears throat> So they decided to have Doris conjure up the beings while having by having her call them. Doris began swearing and yelling at the spirits. I could just imagine being there. Come on, you fucking ghosts! <laughs> well, or or the PG swearing of unsolved mysteries. Come on, you piece of trash! Show yourself, <laughs> piece of garbage! God dang you, ghosts! <laughs> oh, they wouldn't even—they wouldn't even go that far. 
That, that reminds me, like uh, that, like I just saw like a, a unsolved mysteries on Road Rage recently, yeah. and like the guy gets out of the car and he gets in the other guy's face and he's like, "What's yeah, your we problem, about that you one. piece yeah. of garbage? Yeah, what? <laughs> you don't have a right to talk to me that way." And he goes and he pulls out a gun and yeah. he shoots him. It's like pretty sure yeah. in the real world the dialogue's going to be a lot more intense yeah, exactly. than that. And because I think we talked about that case. Yeah, like. If I'm at a, yeah. if, I don't know, man. Like, if I'm at a bar and someone calls me a piece of garbage. I'm just gonna be like, okay, that's your opinion. But if someone's like, <laughs> if, but if someone's like, hey, fuck you, I'm gonna be like, what the fuck did you just say to me, bitch? Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, do you, um, do you like how in my made up scenarios at the bar, I made myself into a tough guy? I'm like, what the fuck yeah. did you just say to me, bitch? Like I'd ever actually, Come on, man. like I'd ever actually <laughs> respond that way. You want to fight? Let's go. I'd, I'd be like. Whiz, mister, that was mean. <laughs> so Doris began swearing and yelling at the spirits while 30 or so investigators were crammed in a room. To much surprise, lights started manifesting around the room. As Doris kept provoking the beings, a greenish mist started to form in a corner as if it was coiling. The green mist started swirling and growing. Within seconds, the form of a man's upper torso started to become visible in the mist. Very large and a lot of muscles is what they reported seeing. The torso of the being did not show facial details, but did show the investigators musculature, like I mentioned earlier. From what they gathered, it was a male entity. An investigator soon fainted after seeing this, which if you really did see something like that, like that would be a pretty honest uh, reaction to have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in one of the other, I think the documentary that was on the special features for the entity DVD, um, uh dodger taff is mentioning how there was like these two like uh big like burly uh uh foot kind of football players or something like that or athletes and like they both just fucking not they they went down to the ground like they fainted when they started to see all this shit their brains just couldn't comprehend well when you have something that you're seeing that is literally challenging everything you were fucking taught as like what real life is and what what is real and what is not real when that when that is challenged, it fucks your whole. Your, your, when that's shattered, yeah, it means you're like you're it's like you're a computer, and you're not programmed to to see that or understand that. That's not supposed to exist. So when you do, it's like uh, kind of like a a your mind gets blown literally. Yeah. Like it yeah, blows I, d- I don't know how I would react to something like that. Like I think initially I'd be like, oh my fucking god! Like you'd be like you 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 would like I can't believe this. This can't be happening. I've been really terrified um, before as a kid. I saw something that was weird. Uh, and, and I can tell you that, like, yes, there is such a thing as a fear to where you cannot speak. Mm-hmm. Like, I've felt that before. So, Did you mention that story? Did you talk about that story before? Um, I don't know. And, and the reason why I... I the reason why I'm hesitant to talk about it now is because it's silly. But, I mean, I guess I, I brought it up. So people are probably going to want to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Um, I was like sleeping at my, I used to hang out with my cousin all the time. He lived next door to me growing up or whatever. And his, his, my aunt and, and my cousin, they were asleep on the bed, uh, on the bed. And I was, I had a pallet on the floor and I woke up in the middle of the night. And for whatever reason, I looked up and this, um, all of a sudden this thing popped out from under the covers, like where they were sleeping, like quick. Like it, like it, Ooh. like it, it was, it wasn't like a foot or anything. It was like quick, mm. like very quick. It just, boom, it like popped up and, and it was, you know, it was dark in there. So I just see this black 
like void, you know, I'm I'm staring at uh. and uh and it, it scared me so much because I didn't know what I was looking at. And then it it just boom, like back back under the covers quick. Okay. Like very fast. That kind of reminds me of something I remember seeing when I was a kid. You know, I, I was already having sort of a hard time sleeping. And then like I got up and then I thought I saw like this, you know, this black blob or something. And I, and I you know, I could have sworn it like it, it kind of, you know, I, I could have sworn it like ate me. Like it scared the shit out of me. Oh, I knew I wasn't dreaming. And then and then and then it disappeared. So, um yeah, uh and I and I have seen I have felt a shadow, you know, like as I've I've told this story before where I was staying with my dad in Oklahoma City and you had Tony my uncle and I think that's a I think honestly think him being there is a big part of why we started to have these sort of uh uh creepy shit happening because he's he's got he's got uh, a lot of negative energy and um like I said you know I was just uh sleeping on the couch and then I could have sworn I thought something was staring at me and you know looked up and I could have sworn I saw, you know, some kind of shadowy, you know, figure or something like, you know, kind of like just, just a shadow, you know, and that I definitely had a hard time sleeping the rest of that night. And my, my stepmom also said she also saw similar things. So yeah. Yeah. I remember like my aunt finally we even had the house blessed if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. By a priest. Yeah. My aunt finally woke up and I like told her and I don't remember what she said, but, uh, it, 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 they they didn't have any dogs. They didn't have any animals. You know that could have been could have been sleep paralysis. It, it wasn't a foot to me. It had like a football, like an oblong shape. I mean, it was weird, man. I don't know. Like I don't know what I saw. So and I don't. It's stupid. And I get why people don't like talking about this shit. Cause you feel dumb because it's like it yeah. could have been nothing. But to me, at my experience, what I felt as a kid from my understanding of the world was that this was something that was not supposed to be well, there. Well, it's kind of like how I felt about the shadow that I, I could have sworn ate me. <laughs> well, that sounds like you were I, I, dreaming or something. No, I was awake, though. I woke up and then I saw it. So it might have been like some residual uh, dream state. Yeah, maybe. I know mine wasn't. Um, the, the, shadow, the shadow, though, that I saw, I was not. I was wide awake. Like and I was feeling like something was watching me. I knew. And I, there were I knew. Other people I was in the house that saw it. Yeah, I knew I was awake from my experiences because my my first reaction because of my upbringing was to like witness to this thing, you know, tell it about Jesus and shit. And because uh, I I thought did it go away when you did that? No, because I well I I had the thought in my head, but like I said, like I couldn't speak because I was so afraid. Yeah, and it's like I was like tell it about. I could God. just I could just I could just see the the reenactment. In my mind, oh, Jesus, <laughs> I would rather not. I would rather not see that reenactment. <laughs> All right, guys. Now a few words from one of our sponsors, Cove. Anyone who's had a migraine knows they are the absolute worst. My brother could tell you the most about that because he has been a hardcore migraine sufferer. Ever since he was a little kid, and I just remember seeing him in bed all the time with a cold rag on his forehead trying to ease his migraine pain. Thankfully, I skipped out on that gene, but uh, I know from uh, his experience that, that they are awful. But now it's a little easier to treat your migraines from the comfort of your own home thanks to Cove. 
Cove starts out with a simple consultation by a licensed physician, and then the prescription that they determine is best for you is sent directly to your door. I was able to go on their website, and the uh, filling everything out was very easy for me to do personally. Uh, this is personalized after your consultation. Your doctor creates and tailors your individual course of treatment. Cove then reaches out a few weeks after to see how you're feeling. Education. Cove breaks down everything you need to know about migraines and migraine treatment. And it's doctor supervised. A doctor who is licensed to practice medicine in the state you live in will be the one who prescribes your monthly medication and oversees your progress. FDA approved medication. All migraine medication prescribed by the doctors at Cove is FDA approved. If you suffer from migraines, the last thing you need is to have to wait to see your doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. And when you use my special link, you'll get your first month of treatment for free. Go to withcove.com slash unexplained. That's W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com slash unexplained. Withcove.com slash unexplained to get your first free month of treatment for free. Back to our regularly scheduled program. So, in back to the, the entity case. So... No matter how many high-speed cameras were set up to capture this or that the team had even had professional cameramen present, none of this ever came out on film. The pictures pictures only show what appears to be a free-floating arc light in the middle of the room as well as some light orbs. And the orbs, like, I'm so tired of hearing about orbs. Yes, me too. The most famous and incredible of these photographs is the one that shows Doris sitting on a bed, investigators surrounding her, and a free-floating arc of light in the middle of the picture. What's incredible and equally unbelievable is that the arc of light appears smooth, even though this is a room with corners, and one would expect bends in the arc when someone uses a projector to display an image, and the image hits the corners in the room. The image will bend. The photographic evidence produced by the team shows the arc of light floating above Doris Bither with no bends, even though behind it, we see the room's corner. Dr. Taff also reported that the eldest son would go on to say that the activities were intensified, Whenever he played certain music, wow! This one, th- th- this this little bit here is a fr- I haven't heard this. This is pretty funny. This like ties right into the satanic panic stuff that we were talking about a while back. Uh, Black Sabbath and Uriah Heep were the albums played. Oh my god! The songs that mentioned or were about devil worship is what seemed to upset the poltergeist. I don't believe that. I think the sum is just fucking with the investigators with that one. I don't buy that at all. <laughs> Asking the boy to play these songs in question, Dr. Taft did observe that the lights in the orbs did increase. Well, okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, do we have our first shred of evidence that actually supports the satanic panic? <laughs> that rock music is the devil's music? <laughs> no, but it plays into the narrative quite conveniently. It does. The investigative team observed lights and poltergeist activity for about two and a half months. As time went by, the activities decreased. It's important to point out a few factors in this case. Doris's addiction to alcohol and her being abusive and belligerent almost on a daily basis, as well as her unwillingness to seek help for her abuse or deal properly with it. Because of her refusal to properly deal with her own psychotic issues, I believe that her energy and the energy in her home manifested itself as poltergeist phenomena. 
We have to take in consideration that all the paranormal activities were extremely powerful only when Doris was present in the home. Doris almost was always in a drunken stupor, seemed to be the center of it all. While intoxicated, Doris would attract the phenomenon almost on cue. There were times when she was present with the team and was not under the influence of alcohol that the poltergeist did not manifest itself. And she reportedly did not have any more of these uh, things that would occur when she was sober. So that's another interesting thing that libations and alcohol or potentially drugs might actually increase the potential of uh, uh, more intense poltergeist activity. But if you think about it, I mean, uh, you know, alcohol is a depressant, so it would just increase the negative energy. Or she's just drunk and it's just being drunk and none of this shit's real. But everyone else is seeing it. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> Supposedly. How do you explain that photograph? Okay, yeah, I'd like to talk about that photograph because those light streaks, which again, don't impress me at all because as a photographer... You can make a light streak like that with your camera. Well, they had professionals that actually did, you know, try to recreate that, and they weren't able to do that back in the because they're noobs. Okay, there's a <laughs> your sh the shutter on your camera. Even the cameras back then, the old SLR cameras, they ha they all have a button called the B. It stands for bl the blind or the shutter of yeah. the camera. You hold the button down, and it opens the shutter indefinitely. Unlike when you normally hit the shutter button, it, it, you know, it clicks real fast to snap, you know, a picture. Well, you can actually set it up to where if you hold the shutter open and you take a light and you drag it across the scenery, it'll leave a trail because the camera is perpetually catching, um, you know, that light and the trail of that light. And if everybody else and everything else stays still, it'll look like just a streak of light. Now you'll say, oh, well, you know, why, why wouldn't you see the person in there and you just see the light? Well, there's a bunch of different ways that you can you can um, just do the light. I, I, think streak. You're, I think you're definitely underestimating the experts at the time. Like they knew they know all about what you're talking about. Well, these like they're these, photography guys, you know, when it, when it came to uh, that that Australian UFO that comes to mind and they had the uh, the picture analyzed at uh, Kodak well, Laboratories. Yeah, but I mean, that's a little bit different. You ask me. They they were they were like unable to figure you know and I don't know they just like the technology now like where it takes two seconds to like put something in Photoshop and do you know throw a negative on I can't, it. Or, I can't I can't necessarily you know completely discredit the photo myself. I'm not discrediting it. I'm just saying that like it doesn't impress me at all because th well, there's compared to a lot of the other photos you know supposed photographic evidence of paranormal activity like that it it, it does impress like me. that picture that was snapped that one time of the girl with the phone that was tossed across the room and her hands well, we already know that's fake because that's been proved that's that whole case has been debunked if i remember correctly and we talked about it yeah but i mean like i don't know that that would have been a more convincing like picture that you know than than the light. I don't know the light streak just doesn't do anything for me. There's so especially back then with how photography like uh, the cameras weren't as well made. And well, it, even explained about how like it wouldn't create that arc if you tried to you know do it any other way. So it's just one of those things. I you know I don't know. What do you mean? 
I, I, I don't think it's just that, you know, there's another form of, I think, like some kind of uh, a photo thing you can do. But I, I, I don't think it was just straight up overexposure or anything. I don't think it was, the, you know, is this one of those things that uh, it's definitely convenient if that's the case um that you know th that that photo was taken at that particular time and then those pit they had the, another the, photo the pictures that they showed uh previously where uh doris was saying that uh oh the entity that one uh, that one i'm not really too because that could easily just been overexposure like that one i, I don't know and she's like that. oh the entity's not here anymore and they take a picture and now all of a sudden the the, the picture's coming out and but but then even in the pictures that came out clear there was so much it almost looked like there was like a light leak in the can in the like where they had yeah. the film because it was like the, the that that particular that particular series of photos like I I'm I'm skeptical. Well, it was just so, it was so clear I'm, that they're working they're working with a a fucky camera to begin. I don't know. Like I'm just I wasn't impressed. Well, it's not it's well it's this that wasn't the photo with the light streak. That's not from the same photographer. Oh okay, and it's not from the same camera. So um. Yeah, I mean, she she she's drunk, so that's definitely something. But I do buy into the idea negative energy can create, you know, a lot of, you know, potential, you know, if you're going to have poltergeist activity, it's probably going to be influenced by a lot of negative energy. What's what's going to create more negative energy than alcohol or drugs? <laughs> yeah. You know? And I mean, in the negative energy thing, I believe in that because I, you know, and I I've felt that and. Um, that, that I can get behind and, you know, and it takes away your inhibitions. So her inhibitions are minimized. So then if she has her own psychokinetic energy, then it just explodes because it's, you know, there's, there's nothing holding it back. Um, Doris also claimed that there were three entities that attacked her. These entities controlled her life and to some extent oppressed her. It will not be a stretch from a psychological standpoint that these entities could have been a physical manifestation of the relationship Doris had with her own three sons. That That's pretty plausible. From the reports of Dr. Taff, we know that her relationship with her sons was not a normal Norman Rockwell painting. Um, and... Uh, there's the, this other... This this writer says, you know, some of, one of the kids or, or Doris herself could have been psychic, which I don't know about that. Um, Doris could, uh, could have attracted three evil spirits into her life. I, I think that might, I think that honestly might have happened because I think that's when she's messing around with the Ouija board and doing all this other fucking shit. I think she might have opened up some potential doorway to some, you know, dark shit. Um, and the fact that, uh, because, uh, Frank D. Folletta, who, uh, wrote the novel, The Entity, he kept in contact with Doris for many years, even after. Uh, she moved from her home in Culver City. So she actually would go to another home and she would uh, experience more poltergeist activity. You know, toilets flushing on their own, doors opening and closing and stuff like that. And um, the investigators also described, you know, more, more detail of other stuff that they saw, like a frying pan flying across the room and a few other things. She would, you know, she she moved from that. She moved from her second home to another home, and the neighbors around her started experiencing these this paranormal phenomenon, like lights turning on and off, and doors opening and closing, and stuff like that. Now, I find that really curious. 
like that it that was spreading from like so it seems to me that there definitely was something that was following her around like it was it, it was attracted to her specifically now whether or not you know that this is 100% accurate or real that's that's you know for you to judge um i can understand people being skeptical i'm not 100% um convinced about all of this but it does leave me with a lot of questions that I don't have necessarily had the answers for and out of a lot of and out of a lot of the other paranormal cases that I've studied or researched this is one of the more compelling ones to me uh, for one you know a lot of reasons why because you had like people who saw this phenomenon live you have their recollections you have uh multiple different witnesses that all are saying the exact same thing that they saw the exact same events and phenomena and you have you know people like dr taff and carrie gaynor who are talking about it as well so you have professionals in the field who are discussing it and then you have uh you know other witnesses that are also uh collaborating the these events um it's one of those things that I definitely feel is is definitely a clear cut case of the unexplained. The ghost rape thing, I don't think that happened. Um, maybe there was some potential uh, contact being made. I don't know if it was a, a rape though. Um, I know that's terrifying though. I mean, that would be. I mean, it's terrifying enough of this idea that this entity would just follow you around and make you miserable and. No wonder she, you know, kept drinking. Think about so it. So does that mean that go uh, does that mean if there's ghost rape that ghost cocks exist? Possibly because I don't think I'm ready to believe that there's such a thing as a ghost cock. <laughs> and that would also have to mean that there's a ghost pussy. <laughs> so now are we talking ghost like ejaculation and ghost children? Like this just raises a whole bunch of like very weird it gives questions. a whole new meaning to the term ghost boy. <laughs> yeah, really. So, um, yeah, that's the entity case. Um, I personally uh, enjoyed discussing it. I hope uh, you all enjoyed uh, listening to me discuss the case. Um, I'm guessing Josh probably thinks it's all bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Which is fine. Um, we don't. I don't have to believe everything I talk about on here. <laughs> and Mike, and, and don't cool. worry, guys. Mike has already decided he's not going to <laughs> like the case we hey, talk about next hey, week. To I'm saying there's me. a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance that I might not. Mike be into is it. a very petty, petty man. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm just like looking at these stupid. Uh, on the internet here, these stupid little new yeah. news things that pop up it says woman arrested after pouring alcohol into Taco Bell drive-through employee's mouth. What? Right in front of uh Norgan Sheriff's Office took to Facebook to share Oregon. its weirdest DUI arrest of the weekend, in which law enforcement officials arrested a woman after she poured alcohol into a Taco Bell drive through employee's mouth. According to Washington County Sheriff's Office, the incident took place around 1 a.m. on Saturday at Taco Bell. 
the suspect, 23-year-old Eliana Aguilar from Cornelius, Oregon, had a blood alcohol level of 0.12. The Oregon state limit is 0.08. Washington Sheriff's Office did not immediately respond. Blah, 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 blah. She poured the alcohol into the employee's mouth, quote, right in front of a sheriff's office sergeant while she was, quote, still in her car. Uh, drink of choice was Hennessy Cognac, but Washington County Sheriff's Office clarified that Taco Bell employee didn't actually consume the alcohol. We talked to the employee, and he said most of it was spilled on him and that he didn't actually consume the Hennessy. Okay, whatever. Stupid article. Slow day in the news. Uh, this next case is uh, another Mike case. It's the case of Al Kite. Junior. It's also a uh, request from someone on the group. I'm going to look up the uh, requester real quick. His um, first name is... His name is his name is Rob Wynn. Okay. So thank you, Rob, for uh, requesting this and bringing this case up. This is actually from America's Most Wanted. Yes. Yeah. A case that... Or a show that... Uh, I watched a bit growing up, but I think Mike watched a lot more than I did. Yeah, I watched a lot more. Uh, it was a Saturday night tradition when I would go over and stay with my dad on, on the weekends. We would watch America's Most Wanted and Cops. Man, and then Matt TV. God, what was it about? Like, like growing up, like old people loved these kind of shows. These, these were the shows that were always on by default. My dad wasn't really old at that point. Like he was like, you know, third in his thirties or you know, forties. Yeah, well, but, I'm yeah, saying okay. like whenever, anytime I'd go over to like my great aunt's house or grandma or whatever, it was like, oh yeah, these, my aunt loved unsolved mysteries. Yeah, like so, these shows so. were just always on. Like uh, Cops, America's Most Wanted. Cops is another great show. Like I really, I mean, not not a whole lot to talk about on our podcast in regards to cops, but that, I just really like that show a lot. Um, it's it's pretty funny sometimes too. Yeah, it can be, but uh, I mean, the, some of the white trash you see on there. Yeah, that's kind of like the old go to thing to say about cops, but I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff on there. Any? Oh yeah, exactly. Anyway, this guy's first name is Oki, so Al is like a nickname. So if I say Oki, then you'll know and uh that the america's most wanted like i will say this this reenactment was more one of the better ones i've seen because they didn't really try to do necessary reenactment they focused more on the interviews with the authorities and some of the other people involved with the case or related to al kite instead and you know relaying the evidence and you know and they had this i thought it was a kind of a, a clever idea to have this like shadowy figure and black and white photography. I thought that was a, an, an inspired choice instead of, you know, trying to do their really low budget reenactments that they did early on in the show. <laughs> um, I would love to see that show. I would love to see, you know, full episodes again, but for some reason Fox just doesn't really care. And it's, it's really hard to find the show. It's like what unsolved mysteries was before Amazon before Amazon, like you could just, it was just almost impossible. It's almost impossible to find full episodes. I wonder if they, the company that, uh, that produced the show and distributed it or, or not distributed, but produced the show. I wonder if they had some kind of a deal with Fox to where it was like super exclusive rights or something like that. Cause unsolved mysteries, John and Terry like owned that show. It was very important to them to like retain and protect oh, yeah. their show. 
Well, um, America's Most Wanted, you know, it, along with Unsolved Mysteries, they're some really important shows, if you ask me. America's Most Wanted, I don't think it... I think it's, it's getting close to the point of being kind of forgotten about. And I think that's too bad because it really was integral, you know, when it, when it comes to, as a tool, to capture criminals, to get these FBI, these guys in the FBI Most Wanted list... I mean, there were early on in America's Most Wanted, they did cover cases that Unsolved Mysteries also helped solve. But there's other uh, exclusive crimes that America's Most Wanted was really uh, instrumental in capturing these scumbags, you know. And, and I loved how John Walsh is just a uh, matter of fact and, and just not, did not give a fuck in how he's talking about criminals. It's like, we're going to catch these scumbags. We're going to catch these, you know. Uh, like, I, I mean... If he could get away with it, he probably got, we're going to get these sons of a bitches. <laughs> <You know? laughs> All right. Um, so let me dive into this oh, case yeah. here. Um, Oki Al Kite Jr. grew up in the 1960s in the tiny tobacco and cotton farming town of Halifax, North Carolina, where people generally knew and trusted their neighbors. Though the corporate accountant would move around the world, including Massachusetts, New York, Algeria, and San Francisco, working for an engineering firm, his small-town personality never changed, said his sister Barbara Hanna of Virginia. He was very trusting, and I think that's what his downfall was. On the day he died, May 22, 2004, Kite was to help a renter move a large chair through a basement door of his townhome at 2002 South Helena Street in Aurora. Police have said the killer may have posted as a rental prospect who answered a newspaper advertisement that Kite had recently placed. The killer apparently had been in contact with other renters for weeks, stalking several potential victims, including an elderly woman who rented her part of her home, Hannah said. One woman described him as a man with a Hungarian accent who limped and used a cane. She actually said Romanian. She did not say Hungarian. Yeah. So this article is wrong. Uh, for- but, you know, are you saying the the Denver Post is incorrect? I mean, you know, every now, you know, once every hundred years, they might make an error like this, and I found that one time. <laughs> Four days before he was killed, Kite's girlfriend, Linda Angel Angelopoulos, that's not a Greek name at all, uh, said that she uh, she was at the house when the rental prospect was looking at the basement. She said she heard Kite tell the prospect that she had arrived and wanted to meet him after she got out of the bathroom. But in the time it took her to use the restroom, the suspect, who said his name was Robert Cooper, made an excuse to leave quickly. Quote, he did not want to see he did not want me to see him at all. Angelopoulos only saw his profile through a window as he was walking out. The man was wearing a nice pair of pants and a suit coat, was in his 40s, and had dark, wavy hair, she said. He was about 5 foot 8 and weighed about 180 pounds. Quote, I just saw him for an instant. Kite later told her that Cooper had just moved from east, the east to take a job at Wells Fargo and was temporarily staying with his sister but needed his own place because his sister had a family. Detectives would later learn that the address he gave for his sister was a school. The social security number he gave was an elderly woman's and that his name was likely false as well. On the morning he was killed, Kite drove Angelopolis to the airport for a week-long trip back east. At 3.30 p.m. that day, she called to tell Kite she had arrived. 
He told her that he had fixed a pipe in the basement with a neighbor. According to evidence at the scene, someone entered the home that night and struck Kite from behind as he was descending the stairs to the basement, Angelopoulos said. Although the man stole Kite's blue and gray GMC pickup truck and used his credit cards to steal a few thousand dollars from an ATM, police believed robbery was only a secondary motive for the killer. Quote, he just wanted to find people to kill, Hannah said. He brought his own little torturing kit. Oof. The killer tied Kite's hands behind his back and tied his feet, Angelopoulos said. He cut Kite and tortured him for hours. It's so hard to imagine why it was done, she said. This guy was doing it for the thrill. After Kite was killed, the man bathed at the townhome and may have even slept in Kite's bed, Hannah said. He poured bleach down the drains of the shower, apparently, in an attempt to destroy any trace of who he was. A neighbor who saw him leave the home uh, on Sunday morning. A neighbor s saw him leave the home. Anyway, whatever, you know what the fuck. <laughs> Knowing that Kite's girlfriend was going to be out of town, the suspect knew he would be alone with Kite all weekend, Hannah said. He knew he had all the time in the world, she said. Kite's pickup truck was abandoned a few blocks from his house, and his cell phone was later discovered miles from his home. At 11.30 p.m. the same night, someone withdrew thousands of dollars from Kite's account at an ATM. No suspects in the case have been identified, but several witnesses help, helped police make a composite drawing of the suspect. So there are some details that this particular article doesn't mention that the America's Most Wanted uh, segment uh, detailed. For instance, uh, the fact that this guy is so calculating and so, uh, I, I guess, smart, really, is the right way to put it. Uh, he thought this through all the way. That... When he went to the ATM, he had a full ski mask on and he was like wearing like it looked like a doctor's jacket or something. And so there's no way to identify him from the from the ATM security cam footage. The cell phone that was found, it was supposedly his cell phone. Um he was he would do this game like he would just leave the cell phone, right? He would leave the cell phone at like a payphone somewhere and homeless to let homeless people use it. Well, that's what he did when, um, when, when he was, you know, when the, the te detectives were searching for him, they, yeah, they were, searching they were for tracking him. his phone, but he left it somewhere mm -hmm. where homeless people grabbed a hold yeah. of it and, um, they were using it to call their family, friends, relatives or whatever. And police thought they were tracking the guy, the murderer when yeah. really they were just tracking a bunch of homeless people. So yeah. we kind of threw police office set but when they did finally retrieve the cell phones they they found records that indicated that all the numbers that uh, the guy known as cooper was calling were all numbers of people who were looking for uh roommates yep. who had personal mm -hmm. ads out looking for roommates and there was another gal that he probably was choosing as a victim she's interviewed and she was talking about when he came up to uh, talk about the listing like she she immediately knew something was off about this man. Like she was talking about like the hair on the back of my neck stood up. You know, I, I knew that this man, you know, there was something wrong with him. And her not making that deal probably did save her life. Like what kind of what what demented thought process occurs? When an individual is like, I'm going to murder somebody, you know, that's just that's just come pops in their mind. They're just like, I want to kill someone. 
After me trying to cover the BTK uh, case, uh, my whole like why do killers kill is just ex has been exhausted at this point. I I just yeah, I can't. We don't know. Yeah, like we don't. I know. can't even that's, begin that's to speculate. The, I mean that that's that's just like paranormal phenomena. You know, we don't necessarily know one hundred percent for sure whether it's bullshit or not. Um, that's 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 honestly how things are with why killers kill. Um, we don't know what the answer is. It's it's unexplained. It's an unknown. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, but it's it, it's definitely you know it it ties right into the realm of the unknown. Um, this is a really brutal case. I mean, it's scary too that somebody would just be like, uh, eh, all right, I'm gonna kill you. I'm not gonna just gonna kill you. I'm gonna tie you up and I'm gonna torture you for hours, and then I'm gonna kill you. Then I'm gonna take a shower, and that and know, I'm gonna in, use in, up. In your then shower. I'm gonna use up all your bleach, which is not not yeah. cheap. Use up all your hot water and use up all your bleach, and I'm gonna sleep in your bed. Yeah, I mean, this guy was just an awful roommate <laughs> from from bottom to top. But I honestly think that this is this is an individual that. I, I personally feel might have killed before or um, would would definitely uh, plan on killing again if he hasn't already. And what's scary is that he's still out there. This fucking psycho is still on the run. Maybe he's moved into his uh, mellowing out phase as, as most. They said he was older, so he might not. He might have passed away, but it's 20. 2002 so yeah I mean, he would still be you know in the right age you know to still you know do some damage if you wanted to um i don't know well, when they get old if a serial killer isn't apprehended they they reach that mellowing out phase you know that they've talked well btk you thought he reached that mellowing out phase but i think he was getting ready to kill again before he got caught yeah, but it's, I don't know, you don't see a lot of, like, old-timers, you know, committing, no. you know. So it's people in their either middle-aged or younger. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, who knows, but, I mean, he, he, he already, you know, he deserves to, like, rot in prison and not... I hope he gets caught, because, like, that's just, you know, it, it, that that's one of those things that... They could definitely keep you up at night, you know, someone, an individual like this. Yeah, this is always yeah, like, and, and I th this is all the shit I think about anytime, like, I, I invited someone over, uh, we were, it was one of those instances where it was supposed to be kind of a party at my house, but then it ended up being yeah. literally just me, my friend Trey, and this rando guy, uh -huh. and, and it was like one of those things where, like, it would have been fine for the rando guy to be there if a lot of other people were there too, you know, but, like, the fact that only... Like everyone else literally dropped out and it was just rando guy and, you know, me and my friend Trey. It was like super awkward. And I mean, I'm just thinking in my mind, like he turned out to be fine. But like, I'm just thinking like, like, this is the shit. This is the shit I try to avoid right here. Like, you know, just just having rando people in my house, knowing my address, eyeballing all my stuff. But if you walk into my living room, it looks like I'm poor. I don't have anything in my living room. <laughs> all my good shit. Why don't I not say where all my good shit is located? <laughs> Jesus, Josh, you fucking idiot. Yeah, don't do yeah. that. Let me tell you exactly where I keep all my all my prized possessions. <laughs> Let me tell you the the combination of my safe, so you guys so you guys will have it if I ever forget it. Uh.
But yeah, that was but a... the thing that really makes this guy uh, stand out to me is that he planned it all out and he knew exactly what he needed to do to stay one step of the authorities, which that's what really makes me think that this guy is still around. Like, he, you know, and it definitely he, he got away with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, he stabbed the guy 22 times. The, the, the detective made no bones about, you know, like, pr- not praising, but like really alluding to how, like, smart this guy was. I mean, he was he was basically pulling a Kevin Spacey, Kaiser Sozi on some of these people. He, yeah, he, go- he might have just killed. He, he might have killed other people before, you know, just for money. And a thrill. Well, I mean, he'd be... look at how he goes to the ATM machine. Uh, what, 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 I was on a track there, Mike, and you derailed my track, my my train track of thinking. Sorry. Uh, he, Here you go. The Kaiser Sozi thing, like, he would be, like, walking up to uh, one of the places with a limp and a cane. Yeah. And then next, the next person who saw him, he didn't have a limp nor a cane, and he had a different appearance. Yeah. It reminded me of another case that we, I don't think we've covered yet, that or, or did we cover that one? It was on season 12 on Unsolved Mysteries, and it was like a shocking murder. This guy just went in some house. He was he had a cane, and like he, I think it had like a knife in it, and he just like stabbed this guy. And it also had to do with uh, renter sort of thing, and that's what really kind of made me like, wow, these two cases are kind of uh, similar, and and both are uh, unsolved. Gumshoe Mike is on the case. <laughs> Gumshoe never really like that's one term that I always thought like it doesn't sound very cool, you know, for a detective. Sounds like sounds kind of like a like you're you're a child and you don't know how to like look where you're walking to a certain degree, like Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I don't have anything else to say about the Al Kite case except uh, rest in peace, Al Kite, and my condolences go out to his family and his friends. Um, and hopefully, one of these days, um, the police do catch that scumbag who killed Al Kite. Yes, indeed. All right, guys, that's all the time we got for the podcast this week. Um, if you want to join our Facebook group, you can do so by going to Facebook. Selecting the groups tab and typing in uncovering unexplained mysteries. Uh, we got a lot of people in there now, and it's a pretty cool group. In fact, we just had someone from Australia uh, posting a picture of them sporting one of our a very, very limited edition uh, uncovering unexplained mysteries t-shirts. Um, we sold, we're almost sold out of them. Uh, I think we have like a double XL and a triple XL left. I think that's it. Um, so yeah. Figure out how to find, figure out how to buy that. If you want one, ask me. I don't know. We, uh, I'll send you the link. Anyway, um, if you want to check out me and Mike, you want more of us, but maybe, maybe you're more of a Mike guy and less of a Josh. My voice annoys you, or maybe you're more of a Josh guy and Mike's dad jokes put you off. Then you can look us up on YouTube and and check out our own separate YouTube channels. Mike's is YouTube.com slash uh, OCP communications and he mainly does movies he's a movie fanatic what was the last thing you did Mike uh did a uh tribute slash a wake for uh Rucker Hauer you know for his life and his career so that's the last thing that I did um so yeah a pretty somber video but that's and then and then before that I did a review of the Rocketeer 
a film that I really, really loved for many years, but like I watched it fairly recently and I actually like the other films that were like it uh, uh, um, more. Like I like The Shadow and The Phantom more this more recent I remember my brother loved The Rocketeer. I still really like it, but I still like the film. There are, there are moments about it. I wouldn't say I really like it. There are, there are moments in it of it that I really like, but I, I feel it doesn't soar as high as it could. Um, and speaking of Fanatic, I wanted to ask you this real quick. Did you hear about Fred Durst's uh, a film that he's doing? No. Yeah, he's directing a movie called The Fanatic. Oh, wow. And it's about some crazy stalker fan. And it's not, it has nothing to do with Fred Durst. He's not playing himself or anything. There's like a David Devon Sawa is playing like a fictional movie star, and John Travolta is playing this older like crazy fan who like really likes this this particular actor, and he's like his biggest fan, and it, it actually looks interesting. Travolta really did fall into the role, like he's got like this horrible dorky looking haircut, he's got glasses, he's uh. He's gained weight. So basically, he just looks like normal John Travolta nowadays. No, <laughs> not not really. That doesn't, all, the, all those descriptions didn't really sound like that big of a stretch from what he probably actually looks oh, like. Well, well, you, you know, when you see that trailer, trust me. Okay, I'll have to, he looks, I'll have to he check did, it out. He looks a lot different. Jeez, fucking Limp Biscuit over there making a damn movie. Fred Durst directing a horror movie. <laughs> Gosh. He's 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 such a douche on so many levels, but his but you have to respect the fact that his douchery has gotten him all the opportunities and success that it has. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, you can uh, find me at YouTube.com slash Dancing with Ghosts, where you can not only find my original music as Dancing with Ghosts, but uh, all the other various entertainment and op ed pieces I do. For instance, my last video was, uh, is Billie Eilish bringing dark music into the mainstream? Her album, uh, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go, uh, has been charting uh, in the top three on Billboard 200 for the last few months now, which is, if you go and listen to any one of her songs that are out now, uh, her songs are very uh, melodic and dark, moody, uh, and there's no rapping for once. It's It's crazy. Someone who's actually... Topping the charts that is not uh, incredibly like rap, trap, hip hop based um, and is bringing like a dark vibe to things. So I did a video kind of going into that. And yeah, I do have some critiques of her. Um, I, I, I feel like she um, her vocally is kind of a one trick pony. She's got a very sleepy, whispery voice that she uses in every single one of her tracks. And that's kind of like her go to voice. Kind of like Fiona Apple. <laughs> um mm, no i don't know i'd say fiona apple is definitely more of a broad singer than Billie eilish um i'd say like uh i don't know who's like a one-trick pony and how they sing uh where every single song it sounds the same way uh hmm, i don't know every pop singer for the most part no but i don't know you just have to go and hear her songs. Uh, I would recommend a song called Bury a Friend, uh, Bad Guy, or You Should See Me in a Crown. Those are all good songs. But I'm I'm glad that, like, finally, uh, whoever is responsible for ensuring uh, the pop stars shoot up the charts 
Uh, I'm glad they chose somebody like Billie Eilish because it's like, finally, we might get some variety in our mainstream top 40 music beyond just trap rap and coding and cutting up images of uh, trap rap uh, rappers. Right yeah, now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't know if you can hear that. I'm cutting up trivia slips because I'm getting ready to leave for my trivia gig. But uh, yeah, that was the last video I did. But I do a bunch of music related videos about music history and this, that and the other. I'm sorry if this is really loud. I'm almost done. And this is I am done. final cut right there. Yeah, so anyway, that's where you can find me and Mike outside of uh, the podcast. So until next time, have a good rest of your day. Goodbye. See ya. So now we've come to the point in the podcast where I'm going to promote my band, Dancing with Ghosts. We are on Spotify and anywhere else that you want to stream music, so please give us a listen. And if you like what you hear, consider supporting our band. You can buy limited editions of our physical CDs and uh, t-shirts in the description to this podcast. And uh, we just appreciate you checking out the band and giving it a chance. And now here is a little clip of some of our music. Someone touch a tied up. As goes the night. I feel the slip in the 